Um, guys, we, we resume in Romans 9 tonight, and um, you know, if this is your first time with us on a Wednesday night, boy, you picked a heck of a time to start coming. <laughs> We're right in the middle of uh, Romans 9, which is, for those of you who are used to Bible study, um, you know Romans 9 is quite controversial. I, I find that um, very unfortunate that it is. Let me just remind you that this is what we're doing here on Wednesday nights is we're not we're not um, trying to present any uh, a theological position. Uh, what we're trying to do is teach the Bible. We're trying to take what Paul has said and comment on it. That's what we're doing. We're working our way through um, this great letter of Paul to the Roman Church. <clears throat> um, let, let me begin reading at. Um, I tell you what, I'm going to read. I'm going to start at 13, and I'm going to read through. Uh, I'm going to read through 18. How about that? Here we go. <clears throat> As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For He says to Moses, "I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion." So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You might remember the last time we were together, we, we concluded, you don't need to turn to this, but just trying to get you a running start. We concluded in Matthew 20, that parable uh, of the laborers in the vineyard, you know, when the, when the, the uh, certain landowner goes out and hires somebody at 9 o'clock in the morning and then 12 o'clock in the afternoon, at noon and then 3 o'clock and then 6 o'clock. Then he pays them all the same. Remember that parable? Um, and then I, I tried to point out that uh, the, the real point of the parable lies in verse 15. And uh, the, verse 15 says, I mean, it, of course, this is in the parable. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And I suggested as we closed two weeks ago that um, there are those theologically who would like to remove uh, that right from God, that he has the right to do with uh, as he sees fit what belongs to him. Um, that's, the, that's the point of that parable. And it's the point uh, of at least this portion of Romans 9. Our, our last uh, study um, was involving verse 15, which says this, and um, you need to look at this. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now we, we resume with verse 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now guys, um, you'll notice verse 16 opens with the two little words, so then. Uh, I mean, it's pretty clear to see that what Paul is doing is he's arriving at a conclusion. He makes a statement in verse 15, and then he says, so then, uh, it does not depend. Um, guys, verse 16 is the natural implication of verse 15. And that's what Paul does. I mean, he, I mean, it's, it's clear literarily that he's 
he states something in verse 15, and then he says, having heard what I just wrote, so then, here's the conclusion of that. So then, it does not depend on, on human will or exertion, but on God who is mercy. Because of what he said in verse 15, verse 16 becomes logically necessary. Now, take, go back and look. So then it. What's the it? Because that's pretty important. Uh, what is it that doesn't depend on man uh, and his will or exertion? Well, it's that, of course, is defined for us in verse 15. It's some kind of participation in God's mercy. Uh, a participation in the mercy that God dispra- dis- um, extends to save men and women. So that, a participation in God's mercy, here we go, does not depend on human will or exertion. Okay, then what does it depend on? Well, it depends on God, who has mercy. Well, who does he have mercy on? Well, verse 15 will tell you that. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Okay, guys, so the it has to do with a, a, a participation in the mercy of God, and, and, and Paul says uh, that, that participation does not depend. And then he gives you two negatives. It does not depend on human will, nor does it depend on human effort or exertion or work. Um... Guys, the King James says it is not uh, it is not of him who wills or runs. I hope I hope you get the idea. I, I think my translation has done it pretty well. That is, a participation in the mercy of God does not depend on the exercise of human will or desire. Um, you do not will it, and you do not desire it. Uh, it does not depend on human will, nor does it depend on human exertion or work or effort. Um, guys, um, now you've you got to keep bouncing back between 15 and 16. But verse 15 says, the grounds of participation in God's mercy depends on God distributing it as he wills. That's what 15 says. So if the grounds for the decision of the objects of God's mercy is to be found in God, do you get that? That's what verse 15 says. If the grounds for the decision for a participation in the mercy of God uh, is to be found in God, which is what 15 says, then it simply proceeds logically that the grounds of that thing could not be found in man. And that's what he says in 16. That is, it's found in God. So then, do you understand the implication of that? Says, he says in verse 16, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. So then, did you get this? It does not depend on uh, human will nor human exertion. Because it does depend on God. And then in that same verse, verse 16, he gives you a positive. He's giving you the two negations. That is, it doesn't depend on this or that. But let me tell you what it does depend on, which he's already said, but he's going to say it again. 
He says it does depend on God who has mercy. Um, so verse 16, guys, the, uh, the bottom line is that the human role in salvation is excluded. In fact, the New Testament even calls the faith that you exercised a gift. Now, just in case that you, you uh, think that Paul originated such a thing, um, a very similar statement is made by the, the Apostle John in the Gospel. Uh, you don't need to turn. It's in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 1. But let me read it to you. And this is, this is kind of an unfortunate thing because here's verse 12. This is John 1, 12. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he get." I tell you what, you, you might want to turn over there and look at that. See if you can find John 1 real quick. Billy, that's in the New Testament. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really mean. Um, <laughs> John 1, 12. Um, unfortunately, this text gets isolated from the second half of the sentence. You'll notice, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now that text is often preached in isolation from verse 13. Because you'll notice there's a comma at the end of God. So verse 13 is the second half of that sentence. Now let's read the whole sentence. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. How did they get born then? God warned them. Where was the, the origin or the point of origin of this willing to embrace the Savior? Well, it was something that God did. Now, guys, um, this is going to be confusing. So do your best to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, listen to me. Um, Gang, uh, I have just told you as, uh, that, in the, that in light of verse 16, that it is not dependent upon man who wills or man who, will, or man who runs. But I'm about to say this. It is very true that there is a faith to be exercised. There is a choice to be made. There is a life to be surrendered. There is a seeking to be done. Now listen to me, you gotta get this. Yes, there is a seeking to be done, there's a life to be surrendered, there's a choice to be made, there's a faith to be exercised. But all of those are the result of God's prior working in us, not the condition by which He does. Do you get that? That's huge, guys. Is there a seeking? Is there a, yes, yes, yes. But it's the result. Not the cause. It's not my seeking and my, my choosing that causes God to grant me mercy. It is His mercy already given to me that causes me to seek Him 
and to choose him and to desire him. Here's a quote from you from Robert Haldane, one of, one of the commentaries I read. Uh, but it's just a sentence, but it's just wonderful. It's, quote, It is true, indeed, that believers both will and run. But this is the effect, not the cause, of the grace of God being vouchsafed to them. Do you see that distinction, guys? Because it's huge. Uh, is, there a, is there a receiving of Christ to be done? You darn tootin' there is. Is there a, a yielding of a, of a life to be done? Yes. But these things are the results. They're the effects. Never to be associated as the cause. Never to be considered the cause. They, I don't do things and thus put myself or make myself Worthy of God giving me grace. He gives me grace. He, he grants His mercy. He, re, he, he awakens my soul. And then faith and seeking and willing and running become the effect, the result, but never the cause. Never the cause. If you make them the cause, ladies and gentlemen, you have, you have eviscerated. That means you gutted. You've gutted the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, a great illustration, I think, of this whole truth in verse 16 of uh, uh, Romans 9 is Jonah. <laughs> I won't say much about Jonah. We're not going to look at the book. But, but Jonah is a man who actually tried to to run in the opposite direction. If you wanted to know, if you want to know what Joseph, I mean, excuse me, what Jonah willed, let me tell you what he willed. Jonah willed to go to Tarshish. I, I'm, I'm going to run from this God. And he even stands on the deck of that ship, you may recall, and he says, you know, throw me in there because I would rather die than obey that God. Um, so what happens to Jonah? He gets picked up by a seagoing taxi cab, um, wallows around in a, in a belly for a while, and then after having experienced that, he makes this statement. This is in Jonah 2.9. He says, But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, listen to this, salvation belongs to the Lord. <laughs> Guys, if I got what I willed, I'd be in Tarshish. But God in kindness and mercy has interrupted my pursuit of disobedience. You know, we, we went over this a couple of three weeks ago, maybe it was longer, about Something about fairness, you know, because one of the concerns that people have with this, state, this text is, that doesn't seem fair. Let me just tell you this. I want you to know that God is spectacularly unfair. He is spectacularly unfair. And His unfairness is to be seen that He saved any of us. Because 
what he should have all let us what he should have let happen to all of us is just throw him in. But he intervenes. He intervenes. And in the case of Jonah, Jonah finally sees what what a good thing God has done. And he puts his hand over his mouth right after he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yes, it does, ladies and gentlemen. It belongs to the Lord. And the reason that you sit here tonight as a saved man or woman is because God saw fit to intervene and to keep you from pursuing your own (laughs) self-destruction. Guys, did you know that the name Jesus, you ever heard that? Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament word, of the Old Testament name, Joshua. You knew that, didn't you? You know what Joshua means? It means Jehovah saves. <laughs> you know what Jesus means? It just means Jehovah saves. Remember when Jesus was named and um, Joseph is still struggling over whether or not he should even stay with Mary? And uh, the angel appears to him and says, no, 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 this is of me. And you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Jehovah saves. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Jehovah saves. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. Um, but we're still not out of the woods just yet. We come now to verses 17 and 18. And... Um, I want to do something before we dive into that, that text. Let me read it again for you. But uh, I, want to, I want to kind of take a little bit of an aside because I just want to show you one thing. Uh, verse 17, For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that, I might, um, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Okay. Before we jump into that text, uh, I just want to show you something that I that I think is really neat. I want you to show. I want to show you what Paul does in verse seventeen. He says, "For the Scripture says to Pharaoh." Now, gang, did the Scripture say anything to Pharaoh? Who was it that said something to Pharaoh? It was Moses who said exactly what God told him to. But this is not the only place that Paul does this thing. If you keep your finger there and find Galatians is just. A couple of books over. It's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians. But he does this a couple of times in in Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, does the scripture foresee anything? Look at uh, verse 22, Galatians 3. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Did the Scripture imprison things to sin? No. But what has the Apostle Paul done? He has, he has given personhood, he has personified Scripture. And he has made the equation between it and what? God. I mean, all these things, if you, want to, if you want to say, and God said to Pharaoh, yeah. Or you could say, and God foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. Or if you wanted to say, and, and, the, and God imprisoned everything under sin. 
But you see what the Apostle Paul did. Because in his mind, there is such an intricate intimacy between God and a book. And by the way, what's Paul alluding to? Old Testament. Um, I, I think that's... I think that has something to say about our reverence for this book. And gang, anybody that undercuts this book is no friend of yours. Paul, on the other hand, says, the scripture says to Pharaoh, because it was really God that said it to Pharaoh, but they're the same thing. When God says it, when the scripture says it, that's God that said it. I mean, because those, those two are inextricably intertwined. Um, one of the one of the charges, it hasn't been often, but th- that is leveled at people like me. They call me a bibliolatrist. That is, I worship the Bible. Well, you know, I appreciate the thought because it does suggest that, ooh, that man really does think highly of that book, and I do. But I don't worship that book. But there is such an interrelatedness of that book with God that were I to err in love for it, it probably wouldn't take me off too far. Because the Scripture says and God says are pretty much the same thing. Okay, now I just wanted you to see that before we move on. Um, now guys, here's what, I, here's what we need to, you need to see. Verses 17 and 18 are parallel... They're really a repetition of verses 15 and 16. But let me see if I can show you what I mean. All right, you have verse 15. And then you have verse 16. Okay, now notice how verse 15 starts. Verse 15 starts with 4. And then notice how verse 16 starts. So then... Then we come to verse 17 and verse 18. Notice how 17 starts. It starts with 4. And notice how 18 starts. So then. Now go back to verse 15. Notice what what Paul does after the 4. He gives you an Old Testament um, reference. For he says to Moses... Now, look at verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh. So what, is it, what does he do here? He gives you another Old Testament uh, reference. Um, and then, so guys, what you've got here is Paul restating this in these two verses. The difference is he is, um, he is going to introduce uh, a real negative in these two that he did not introduce in these two. But if you'll go back up to verse 13, you have two things said. He says, I loved Jacob. I hated Esau. Verses 17 and 18 are going to comment on that. Verse 17 and 18 are going to, it's going to introduce you to this whole um, negative side 
of God's activity. He's going to address, that is, in verses 17 and 18, Paul is going to address the second half of verse 13. God hating Esau. And I must tell you that that is one of the um, the most despised by the non-Christian world, but by some in the Christian world, the most despised part of this whole section. That God chooses to hate Esau. Okay, so stay with me. Let's see if we can uh, finish this uh, in seven minutes. Um, oh, we're not going to be able to. Let's, 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 let's go to 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up. Now, guys, I'm not going to get into this, but I just want you to notice in verse 17, it is very important to note that it says, I raised you up. It does not say, I created you. It says, I raised you up. Now, those theologues in the room will know why that's important, but we don't need to confuse you further. Verse 17 refers to the battle between Moses and Pharaoh back in the book of Exodus. You remember involving those, involving those 11 plagues? Um, and with each new plague, each new phase of God's judgment, Pharaoh's resistance seems to get stronger or harder. Um, the force of the judgments increase, and every time the ante gets raised, and the more the ante gets raised, and the more that Pharaoh resists, the more God's power is on display, culminating in this grand display of His power. What was that? The destruction of the firstborn of all of Egypt. Now, my point of that, look at the text, guys. It says, for this very reason I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And that's exactly what happened. Guys, when Israel would come, uh, when Israel came out of Egypt, and they would come to, um, oh, uh, well, I remember the, I, I want to say it's Moab, but it could be a different... And, and remember the king who hires Balaam to come curse him? Is it Balaam or Balak? I think Balak's the king and hiring Balaam. And, and, and Balaam says, hey, I can't do that. Do you know who those people are? Why, those are the people that, that God took out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea and killed all their, their, their firstborn back there. The point is, I don't want to mess with him. Because you know about their God? Oh, 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 I'm not about to go say anything and tamper with those people because their God is not somebody you want to mess with. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the point. That's the point of verse 17. Look at it. For, for, the, for the Scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So what is God using, what is God doing with Pharaoh? God didn't make him sin. Um, Pharaoh sinned because he chose to. And sin does harden one's heart, does it not? But, guys, do you remember, 
This was six weeks ago, the, the discussion we had about both and. If you missed that, guys, it, you need to probably go back and listen to it. The both and discussion we had. God didn't make him sin. But what God did do is he aggravates the very thing that's already in Pharaoh for the purpose of displaying his power and exalting himself around the world. God chose to deal with Pharaoh in this way for the reason that is stated in verse 17, because he wished to show his power. And gang, he succeeded. I didn't create you to damn you. I raised you up so that I could display my glory. It's a vast difference between those two. Um, I I have caused you to stand or I have caused you to be the king. I've put you in this position instead of cutting you off all at once. So that the way that I deal with you would ultimately become a display of my power. Let, let me kind of summarize that in three little principles and I'll, I'll, I'll quit for the night. Gang, I'm saying to you that verses 17 and 18 is a commentary on the second half of verse 13. That God hated Esau. Um, but understand this. What he does for Esau and what he does to Pharaoh are both displays of his glory. What he does to Jacob is also a display of his glory. He chooses, it, he chooses to display it one way with Jacob. And he chooses to display it another way with Esau. Now, but in both cases, his name is glorified. His name is glorified in the distribution of mercy and in its withholding. Second principle. God retains the freedom to save whom He will and judge whom He will. Which is really the point of verse 15. And I'm saying, guys, there are theologians everywhere that wants to remove that freedom from God. Maybe some of you who don't like it, that he's the one with that power. One other thing and I'm done. Gang, you've got to get this too. God is not responsible in any way for the sin of man, for the sin of Pharaoh. He has chosen to deal with Pharaoh so that he can display his glory. He has chosen not to show him mercy. I'm telling you, God is spectacularly unfair because he chose to show mercy to any of us. When what we all learned 
we all deserve is the same kind of treatment that Esau and Pharaoh got. We'll come back next week and look at verse 18. Our Father, uh, the truths are, are, um, are complex. They are profound. They are deep. They are broad. They are rich. They are compelling. And they are in some ways beyond our capacity. Lord, simply we ask that you will bring us to the place where we find yieldedness to the Word of God, our delight, that we would allow it to critique us and teach us rather, we, rather than we critiquing it and teaching it. Give us the same kind of respect for this book and all of its truths as we see displayed by the Apostle Paul. Do that, Father. It would revolutionize our souls. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.